animosity and disrespect. And we have seen, have been uh, watching as God unfolded this to His creation, called His creation to become like Him in His relationship, in the triune relationship, even called His creation to be in relationship with Him. Creation, however, fell. Instead of following God, Adam chose to follow Satan. And as a result, all of creation fell along with Adam. All of our relationships began to show decay right from that beginning. And yet God moves in in Genesis chapter 3 with His grace and begins right there at the very beginning by unfolding how God Himself is going to lift up and begin restoring us back to Himself. The entire story unfolds throughout the Bible and concludes finally in the book of Revelation where we see the eternal state, how those who have decided to come back and make God their Lord are going to be in this eternal uh, place of, of uh, devoid of sin and a place of light, a place of, of uh, trust once again, uh, a place without shame, a place without embarrassment, and where we can live freely and wholeheartedly before the Lord. We are, however, not there yet. So we are still in this place, and God has given us numerous instruction of how to live with each other. He also gives us many, many examples of what happens when we don't live rightly with each other. We have good examples and bad examples and a lot of instructions. And from this, we synthesize what we call our social covenant. And there are two halves to this covenant, as I mentioned last week. Week. That's not in your notes, but it's in your last week's notes. To fully invest in relationships, and that is really to connect with each other deeply. And, and then the other half is to fully empower relationships. When we are uh, strengthening each other, when we're becoming better because of being with one another, that is the idea of a strong body. And so what we're doing is we're putting all of these together in the, this particular sermon, and next week as well, to see how we can invest in relationships as well as empower our relationships so that we can be ultimately better than we used to be because we have participated with God's plan. And so with that in mind, let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we need your help every step of the way. We thank you that you do not just give us some instructions and say, follow this and I'll see you later, but rather your word is powerful, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And uh, Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to activate the Word, to bring it alive, to quicken it, if you will, to make it animated, to help your Word become effective and have results and fruitfulness in our lives. So thank you, God. You've also given us your church. And so, Lord, I, I pray that today we can understand an important dynamic, a critical important dynamic of the church, which is us, and how we are used of you in one another's lives. We commit this service and this sermon to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you. Should the church be a place where we don't have any problems of the world? And we just come and walk in and 
we all of a sudden, all our problems that we faced out there are gone? Does it work that way? No, it doesn't. It, it, isn't even, it, it, it shouldn't even be that way. The only time that's going to be the case is after we die and we're perfected and we are in heaven and then all our sins are gone. But this side of heaven, none of us are without sin. We are without sin. We, we have certain degrees of light and certain degrees of darkness that we are walking in. And we are in the process of moving out of the darkness into the light. And so the church uses problems and trials, even conflicts, as challenges that God uses to grow us in Christ. In his uh, book, Healthy Congregations, is a uh, church health guru, Peter Steinke, notes that God gave us three things to help us grow. He gave us His Word, He gave us the Holy Spirit, and He gave us the church. The church is another function in one another's uh, our lives that we sometimes forget. Sometimes we think we have the Word, we have the Holy Spirit, and then we come to, the, to be with one another and we just kind of be as perfect as we can be with each other. But we forget that refining and mutual edification is an important part of our being in the church. So as a foundation of all that God wants to do and all we want to do at West Oahu Christian Church, we have 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And I'd like us to read this passage of Scripture together. This is something that we should keep in mind. If you can memorize this whole passage of Scripture, it's going to give you a clear pathway not an easy pathway, but a clear pathway of what God wants and how He wants us to do this, do church together. Okay, so why don't we read this together? Let's look at the PowerPoint up here, and let's read that together. Ready? Go. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So we see this process here is taking place, and this is what God is telling us through the Apostle John, that we are in the process of cleaning us ourselves up. God is cleaning us out through light. And that part of that process is confession, bringing our sins out into the light to be exposed by the light so that God's light can shine on it and our, our inner junk in our lives can be purified and cleansed. And when we confess our sins, we're not hiding our sins, but confessing our sins, He purifies us not only from the sin we confess, but He purifies us from all unrighteousness. 
All God is asking of us is that we be sincere with what we do know. He knows that there's a ton of things, ton of things that we don't know. But he says, I'm not going to hold that against you as long as you are sincere in what you do know. Isn't that, isn't that marvelous? So let's talk about the problem of unresolved conflict. Well, when you have unresolved conflict, this is what we face. First of all, life is terrible. We have anxiety. We have, we're, we're uncomfortable with that anxiety. It, Peter Steinke would say, the fact that you have anxiety means there's an indicator that something is wrong, and it's an opportunity for you to address that which is wrong. It's not enough to just say, I have anxiety, I don't like that. Let's just get rid of the anxiety. Uh, no, what does it point to? And so with anxiety, we have sleepless nights. We have conflictedness. We have dilemmas on what to do. It, ro it robs you of your peace. This, this conflicts can pose physical problems, maybe in your gut, your stress. You have body aches. You have fatigue because you have sleepless nights. We often become passive-aggressive. We can become cranky, negative, and we begin biting each other. We pull away from friends, and we no longer trust like we did before. These relational issues, what started off as relational issues, now become mental issues, emotional issues, physical issues, and spiritual issues. So, when you come to church, guess what? Because we have not arrived yet, none of us have arrived yet, church can be a place where you feel is no longer safe. No doubt you have felt that somewhere along the line. These things happen because we have not followed adequately Jesus' prescription for how we handle conflicts and how we move toward relational healing. If we don't nip things in the bud, and if we don't confront bad speech and behavior, what happens is this thing mushrooms and it gets out of control. Now, as bad as these things are, they're not even the most important things. Your problem is not the most important problem. The most important question is this. How does God feel about this conflict? It's this question. How does God feel about the conflict that applies adequate spiritual force that transforms us? So if you're a parent of kids, at least two kids, you no doubt have seen this happen. You have a kids are arguing, and then you just kind of hear them get a little squabble here, and then it kind of gets louder and louder. And next thing you know, and they're, they're pulling at each other, they're pulling at hair, and then sometimes they're punching each other, breaking things. And then you step in and you say, stop! As a parent, the fight that your kids are going through affects you. How often do we think how our fight, our disagreements affect God? Most of us are more concerned about our own comfort, how it affects us. So when you have this, kids are going out of control, you have this family meeting. We've had these family meetings in my household. This includes not only ones that are fighting, but the ones that are not fighting as well. It includes everybody because they're here now to hear what dad has to say. Dad's not too happy. 
And when this meeting happens, those who are fighting feel safer because they know somebody is in control. Those who are not fighting, watching this goes on, when you have this family meeting, they feel safer. Even the one who is having the family meeting feels safer because there is order now. You're coming back to this place where there is order. Today, this is that meeting. I'm not dad. God is the dad. But I am speaking for dad today. And I'm speaking the words of Jesus Christ that we're going to be talking about today. But that's not even all there is. What's more is that conflicts affect the testimony of his church. One time, Daniel was sharing with me that he had a friend come to church, just came and visited just one, one time. After that, he said, you know, these two people, they don't get along, yeah? <laughs> the friend could see that. Something similar also happened last year in our congregation. So a question for us is, how do we participate with God's realigning of his people to him? Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus taught us some very clear and simple steps for his church to do to bring things into the light. Let's go ahead and read this together, all right? Uh, we're going to read... 15 to 17, but today we're only going to focus on 15. But let's read the whole thing to get some context. Okay, ready, go. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take two or two other, one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. The verse we're going to focus on today is that first verse. How do we handle this, this initial point of, of contact, if you will? Now, the rest of that verse is an escalation. We call this an escalation in conflict resolution. In other words, if it doesn't work here, we take it the next step. If it doesn't work here, we take it the next step. The goal of this is to handle it in the earliest possible steps because it's just better for everybody all the way around. But you have to have a consequence that goes farther if that doesn't happen. So, um, but for day, today, we're going to look, only look at verse 15. So let's take a look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, the whole point of this is a sin against you. If you remember the parable of the lost son, the lost son came back to the dad and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. There are sins against heaven and there are sins against people. So what we're looking at here is a brother sins against you. That is, you got upset about something. God might not even be upset about that, but you got upset. We see this happening, for instance, in the, in the issue about food. Should we eat meat? Should we drink wine? And the church was split over that kind of thing. Paul says, God doesn't care about that. Oh, but you guys care about it, and you guys are causing one another, one another to stumble. So this is, a, this is a, a personal kind of sin. 
So there are two aspects to this. Number one, you might do things that offend others. And maybe you do it all the time and you don't even know it. We would call that insensitive. Maybe you're easily offended, on the other hand. That is, other people offend you. You could be overly sensitive. The point about that is it takes two to have a conflict. I could, uh, and you can, you can, let me just share this as, as by way of example. I have used sarcasm a lot in my history. There are some people who can't stand sarcasm, and there are other people who, when you use sarcasm, the relationship actually goes deeper. You understand each other. You're talking my language now. And, and, but if you're around somebody who doesn't like sarcasm, then you probably need to lay off the sarcasm or need to be aware of that kind of thing. You can offend somebody. Anyway, it takes two. So um, could be teasing and joking. Sometimes teasing, it, it, it works out for people. Sometimes joking, but sometimes it can cause deep hurts. So here's the formula. The more you stumble others, the more conflict there will be. The other part of this is the more you are offended by others, the more conflict there will be. So we have to be careful about how we are conducting ourselves, our own speech. But if your brother sins against you, this is between two people. Next part is go and show him his fault. Go and show him his fault. In our looking at various different uh, conflicts that happened in our church over the last year and a half, this was the lack of going and showing a person their fault was one of the main problems. So there's always a range of conflicts and not always the same, but this was the most problemsome. When people have an issue, but they don't tell that person about it, they tell somebody else about it. And then it spreads. And by the time we get it, it has gone around in this whole little circle here, and who knows, has heard about it. And so, we have a lot of good things going on too. So, I, I don't want this message to make you think that there's only bad stuff happening. There's tons of good things, mostly good things, 99% good things. But as a shepherd, I, I'm here to say I take full responsibility for what happened, but I'm also going to take full responsibility for correcting it. And what we want to emphasize here is the importance of going to show people their fault. So we see Matthew 15, Jesus tells us to handle a conflicts in as small a circle as possible, as small a circle as possible. So I'm going to ask this question. Do you always have to bring up offenses? The answer is no. You don't actually always have to bring up this offense with somebody. It may seem like Jesus is saying, just bring up every little thing. You don't have to, okay? And next week, I'm going to talk about forgiveness. I'm going to talk about the role of the peacemaker in this whole thing. So next week's sermon is going to be a really, really important sermon. But what if you're afraid and you don't know how to bring this issue to the person? This might be an Esther moment for you. You know how Esther had to stand up for her people? It might have costed her her life. But God called her to stand up for her people. And the Lord moved in because she stood up for her people and produced a, uh, a salvation for the people. What if this is an Esther moment for you? What if you decided to be courageous and take a risk to put God before yourself and your own tendencies 
maybe cultural limitations or personality limitations, and offer yourself as, a, as a, an, an instrument for personal change and potential change in, in somebody else's life. And as you do that, what if God changes you? What if God gives you joy that you were able to help somebody grow and you were able to resolve this situation rather than just let it have it linger, linger, linger? So if you're going to go, if you decide this is going to be an Esther moment for me, it's kind of, I'm nervous about this, but I'm going to go and show somebody their fault. Here's what you need to do. You need to speak, um, you need to speak respectfully. You don't come out guns blazing. You want to be gentle. You want to also be humble. You want to offer your perceptions and your feelings. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I felt hurt when you said that about me. Or, I told you that in confidence. I feel like you betrayed me. You also want to give the person a chance to explain and repent. There's always another side to the story. Sometimes the story's not so good, but sometimes it's really good. And when they tell that other half of the story, it changes the whole thing a lot. And it's just fair, isn't it? Proverbs 18, 17 says, The first reasonous case seems right until another steps forward and questions him. So another thing we can do is do like God did in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. Ask questions. Instead of making accusations, ask questions. So, next thing we want to do is make, Jesus says, to keep it just between the two of you. Now, there are many good reasons to keep it just between the two of you. And that's one good reason I can think of to tell it to somebody else. And there is a good reason. But let's just go over today the reasons to keep it just between the, between the two of you. First of all, you want to honor the interpersonal nature of what you're talking about. This is not about how the other person responded to you. This is about how this particular person responded to you. It's between you and this person. As I mentioned in the issue of sarcasm, somebody else might not be bothered by it at all. But if you try to demonize the person because they spoke with sarcasm, then that would be inappropriate. Yet, if you are offended by sarcasm, it's appropriate to bring it up. Why? Because we're in relationship, that's why. You give the other person a chance to explain, you give the other person a chance to honor. So if this is an interpersonal nature of, this, of the issue. Secondly, you minimize the damage and the hurts. Here are some scenarios. A talks to B. A talks to B, directly to B. Second thing is A Another scenario is A talks to B about C. Now, this might bring light, but it can also bring darkness, depending on why you're talking to B about C. Another scenario, A talks to B, C, and D about E, and they don't tell E that they're talking to a, a B, C, and D. Most of the time, this is darkness. We usually call this a form of gossip. If you're not out to solve a problem, you just want to talk to people, it would be gossip. The next reason is that you want to minimize the need to report back to others. If A talked to B, C, and D, and you resolved it with E finally, now you have to go back to B, C, and D to tell them how that was resolved. 
You have to before the Lord for integrity's sake. And if you told 10 people about this person you're mad at and you resolve it with this person and you don't go back and tell all these other people what happened, now you have a trail of destruction that you've left. So, just between the two of you, smaller circle as possible, I hope we're getting this. We want to also finally minimize gossip and judgments. Once you tell somebody about something, they're going to be really strongly tempted to make a judgment about this, about that person. Now, additionally, being able to talk to that person, you, how you talk to that person is very important as well. So, make sure you give that person a chance to explain and show them the honor of that. Finally, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, Jesus is very clear. You don't always win your brother over, but there's a chance you will. And if you do, that's the best scenario. If you're the recipient of somebody's complaint, this requires a huge amount of humility and teachability. You have to say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust in you. I want to learn. I want to become better. These words might hurt, but maybe they are the words of a friend. In Proverbs, it says, kisses of an enemy, enemy may be profuse, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. James 1.19 says, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So, hopefully, this interaction will result in a person being very receptive and saying, oh, wow, I didn't know that you felt that way. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm so sorry. You know what the beauty of this is? If you've done this and you've had the courage to go and talk to somebody about an issue that's been bothering you, when that happens, your relationship gets deeper. When that happens, you are walking in the light. It's like the light goes on and shines in your life on both of you. And both of you feel better, and both of you know each other better now. You know what hurts the other person, and you know the, uh, the motive of the other person. And, and probably their motive was good. Maybe it was just the way they said it or what they did. But you understand each other better. That's called walking in the light. A ministry leader last year thought she was going to be helped by uh, someone in doing a ministry. The person wasn't able to help her in that ministry, so the ministry leader felt hurt. So I talked to the ministry leader, and sh she shared that with me, and I encouraged the person who wasn't going to help the ministry leader to, to speak with the ministry leader and just to see if they were okay. How are we doing? Are we okay? They got to talk. They had a really good talk, honestly and openly, and now their relationship's healed. And they're at a different place today than they were before that happened. An issue came up between two parties last year. Both parties listened carefully to each other, including how one felt and about one another's the other's behavior, and the other one said the same thing. Both parties listened, 
sincerely apologized for their actions. They saw how their actions hurt the other person, and they forgave each other. That is what we're hoping for in this very first stage of Matthew 18, 15. As the band comes up, I'd like to explain to you a little bit more about where we're going to go here and why I'm, I'm doing this thing. In preparation for this sermon, I picked out a couple of books. One was The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And uh, the other one was this one, Healthy Congregations by Peter Steinke. And I started reading this book. What I set out to do was, because of all the conflicts we had, I set out to find out, how can I be a better mediator? How can I be a per better person to step in and help somebody resolve their conflict? It turns out that neither of these books really talk about that. The Peacemaker is about how you can be a peacemaker with somebody who has something against you. And everybody who, in other words, every individual is responsible to be a peacemaker, not just the mediator. Each one is responsible. As Jesus talked about, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He's talking to everybody, not just the mediator. So this is about individual believers. Similarly, the book by Peter Steinke, uh, he's a church consultant, had tremendous insights. And uh, he says that for the congregation to be healthy, the congregation needs to take responsibility for handling conflicts and to handle it the way Jesus prescribed it. So if we take, a, and he used this illustration from a virus. Okay, we all are aware of the coronavirus nowadays, so this is kind of appropriate. So Steinke uses, uh, says that the, when the virus invades a cell in your body, it disguises itself to be acceptable to the body's cells. It doesn't want to be rejected. It wants to get in there with the cells and just kind of mix it up. The body takes over the cell's reproductive functions and spreads itself to other cells. So for a virus to be successfully spreading itself to other bo the, the body, the next cell needs to receive the virus unto itself. If the cell doesn't receive that virus unto itself, the virus does not spread. So he uses this analogy, and Steinke says that the key for church health is the body's cells need to know what is of the body and what is not of the body. What is alien to our body? And we have a lot of teaching in the Scripture of what is appropriate in Jesus' body and what's not. Leaders cannot and should not go all around checking on people to be morality police. I tell you, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go around asking you if you're, if you're in line, if, you, if you're behaving yourself. I don't want to do that. Our elders don't want to do that. What kind of place is that anyway? You're not going to want to come here. Our job is to help you keep spiritual viruses at bay, to shine the light and ask, is this the sort of thing that is of us at West Oahu Christian Church? Is this who we are or is it not who we are? 
So for us at Western Wahoo to be a healthy church, you all, the congregation, needs to know how to identify and hold off spiritual viruses. If you have a question, of course, then you come to the elders. And as is shown in the New Testament, reports eventually ended up to church leaders. That is fully appropriate. But for today, I simply want to say that through the power of God, you can do this. Through the power of God, we can do this. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to take seriously the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, 15. Father, help us to be aware and alert. Help each of us to take responsibility and know what to do when we perceive that there is a spiritual virus. Father, we thank you for the health that you've given us. I think of many other churches who have experienced horrific kinds of situations where viruses were allowed to spread. We have had our troubles, but we thank you, Lord, that you have addressed them. And we pray, Lord, that you allow us to go forward, not in our strength, but according to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.